And welcome to the socialworldpodcast.com. Your host is Dave Niven. Today's show is sponsored by David Niven Associates. Welcome to the Social World Podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Niven, and it's nice to have you with me again. Now, uh, today's podcast, uh, we're going to interview the chair, the new chair of British Association of Social Workers, Guy Shannon. And hear what he's got to say about what he expects from his term of office, what he sees as the landscape of social work at the moment. And it's a good interview, so I recommend that to you. And after that, I thought, well, there's been so many calls recently that I've had to respond to, a lot from kind of broadcast media, to do with the morale of social workers and changes and the sort of shock changes uh, to do with whether it's the austerity cuts or whether it's senior people leaving or being sacked or whatever and the whole issue of how that impacts on the workforce and one of these calls was to do with Birmingham and uh, I did it for the BBC West Midlands and so I thought well why don't you have a listen to this because it sort of touches on an awful lot of subjects that I know will be dear to your heart so We've got the interview with Guy Shannon, and then we've got the uh, radio interview I did with the BBC. And in a few days' time, I'll also be um, putting out a special final podcast from the Joint Social Work Education Conference that was held at Royal Holloway uh, in the summer. And uh, that would wrap up what was really an amazing series of interviews, something that I felt very privileged to be able to do. And uh, I'm actually looking forward also to doing it next year when I've been invited to go back to the conference which will be held in Milton Keynes. So without further ado, and you can download this, as you know, from iTunes or from Stitcher or Podfeed, the website, of course, www.socialworldpodcast.com. And of course, keep in touch through Twitter, at Dave Niven. Anyway, good to have you with me again. And here's the first interview with Guy Shannon. Today, our main guest is uh, Guy Shannon, and um, he's the new chair of the British Association of Social Workers. So, very warm welcome to you, Guy. So, how long have you actually been in post in in, in this uh, association? In post? Um, Well, I became chair about four months ago. All right, so it's very new. Yes. All right. Okay, let's go back a bit, shall we? I mean, how did did you start in social work in the first place? What, What attracted you to the job? Well, I went to university when I was 18 years old and I studied mathematics and um, I met somebody in my college who was um, studying for a master's in social work and uh, this was back in 1980, 80, 81 and I perhaps, this was the first time I'd ever heard of social work and um, so um, I hadn't considered what career I wanted to do until maybe the second year of my degree when I thought I'm going to have to get a, a job at some point, and um, I was I was attracted to social work almost straight away. Mm. Um, well, it was partly political. Um, I wanted I was a, a young person who wanted wanted to ch- change the world. Sure. Um, I I thought I was good with people, and um, I had some experiences of being helpful to people, 
Um, I'd, I'd met this. I'd met Steve, who, the, the, the social work student I'd, I mentioned. He was a very charismatic guy, and he would tell me he was also really obviously into what he was doing, and he was doing his practice placements, and he was telling me all about the casework he was doing, and I was absolutely fascinated. So putting those things together, yeah. um, meeting someone who was passionate about being a social work student himself, um, thinking that I could be quite good at helping people, and being, um, being quite political and wanting to change the world, I thought, well, social work's a possible uh, route to that. So I left university and did a year's full-time voluntary work. And I worked in the social care field as a full-time volunteer. Doing what? Um, a mixture of things. I, um, I, worked in, I worked for community service volunteers, and they placed me in a scheme called the Independent Living Scheme. And with another volunteer, between the two of us, we enabled this chap who had cerebral palsy to live in his own flat, hence it was called the Independent Living Scheme. And I did that for the first four months of the year. And then I did a range of other things, um, partly working with a mental health social worker and helping to run a social group for people who were socially isolated through their mental health difficulties and a, a range of other community work activities, really, looking back. And during that year, I think it cemented what I was already fairly sure I wanted to do. Okay. So it was, yeah, right from my first um, thoughts about what work I wanted to do in life, Social work was it. So, really. in other words, you you, you managed to pursue, to pursue yep. this goal all from university all the way through. Yeah, and and, I, and during that year after university, I just thought this is the right thing for me yeah. to be doing. Yeah. When you were in practice, then after mm -hmm. qualifying, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you were in children and families mm -hmm. uh, was your main discipline. Is that right? That's right. And you covered the whole range of issues that that uh, social work is involved with children and families. I did. I mean, I qualified in 1989, and generic social work was still just about happening. Uh, certainly, in theory. Do you want to just say for our listeners what that sure. is? Uh, well, generic social workers worked with across all client groups, um, and and I was very keen on doing that. Actually, um, seeing social work skills as being transferable across the whole range of client groups, children adults with disabilities, with mental health problems, older people, and um, working within the family. And um, mm. I actually thought I would move towards working in mental health. And I wanted to get some generic, some general generic experience mm. first. So became a social worker in a generic post in 1989 to find that actually by that time, most of the work was children's. Okay. Um, and so I almost by default sort of became a specialist children's social worker. Uh, but then it, I was very happy to do so because I loved the work. Um, but once I became a children's social worker, following reorganisation in 1991, uh, after the Children Act, um, yes, I worked across the board in terms of duty work, short term, long term, working with, long, with, with looked after children, child protection, right from going out on a first duty visit to uh, longer term, you know, because we were a patch team at first. Sure, yeah. um, was this, uh, where was this by the th way? This was in Derbyshire. In Derbyshire. In Derbyshire, okay. yeah, but I worked there from 89 to 98. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah so quite a stint. Yeah, oh. yeah. And, and, and during that stint, actually, I, 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 was, keen, I was keen to develop the, the therapeutic side of, of what I did. I've always, I've always seen social work, and I still do now, as being a mixture of um, assessment and taking action where assessments show that 
protection is needed. I'm thinking of children in particular, but of course for adults as well. Um, but not just assessment and protection, but actually helping people to, to, to make changes in their lives. Sure. And that there's a very important therapeutic role, which I think because of the centrality for obvious good reasons of risk assessment and protecting children, sometimes the therapeutic side of social work, I thought, you know, you've got a little bit submerged perhaps. Yeah, uh, let's just uh, hold, you, hold it there for a second and talk a little bit about um, today. Because I'll come back to that point in your career at 98. Yeah. But would you not say that there resonates what you just said, that resonates today, and that many social workers out there feel they're not exactly doing what they trained for in terms of direct work with young people? Yeah or in terms of the actual, uh, so much more is administration, yeah. so much more is kind of just monitoring and, and kind of, you know, yeah. checking things. I, and I think that's very similar to when I started out, to be honest with you. Uh, that's what I was wondering. And the, and the yeah. phrase that, I, I can't remember where I read this phrase, whether it was in a social work textbook or where it was, but the phrase really encapsulated what I thought I was doing a lot of the time, was, an, was anxious surveillance. So visiting families and, and monitoring and checking that children were okay yeah. and being very anxious about it. Yeah. And, um, and I've had, so I've had to work, I think, at retaining, retaining the, um, uh, my belief in the importance of social workers as change agents. Um, the, the only, uh, here's a quote from a guy called John Weakland, um, the only lasting route to protection of children uh, save permanent removal is change. So if a child is at risk, then something needs to change for that child to become safe. Mm. And so social workers clearly need to be change, agent, change agents still. And, but I think that can be difficult to keep hold of when there's the pressure on to monitor and visit and keep sure. up with the targets and the statutory... And so yeah. much of the direct work and so mm. forth is now with the voluntary sector yeah. or elsewhere mm. outside of the actual mm -hmm. social workers remit, which a lot of people feel uncomfortable about. Okay, we'll come back to that, but back to 98 then. There mm -hmm. you are, finishing in Derby mm. or Derbyshire in a children's team. What, what, what happened then? Well, while I was in that team, I actually trained in, in solution-focused therapy and, uh, and started to use that approach in my social work in Derby with, with families and developed some skills in that approach. And then in 1998, I was fortunate enough to get a job with the Leicester Family Service Unit and to be the project coordinator of a brand new project they set up called the Early Response Project, okay. which was basically a therapeutic service to families using, using solution-focused practice. And uh, so I worked with them for three and a half years, up to okay. 2002. Okay. And obviously that gave you plenty of ideas for between now and what's going, what was in then and now, in terms of what you're doing now. So how did that evolve after 2002? Well, during that time, I actually um, developed my own sort of training consultancy in solution-focused practice and became part-time as uh, for the family service unit. And um, so from 2001 onwards, I've developed my own uh, solution-focused skills as an independent practitioner mm. and consultant and trainer. Um, I did. Um, after the end of the project at the Family Service Unit, which was always a three-year project, um, I went back into local authority work and worked in Leicestershire for, for, a, for a time uh, until, I, um, until I was able to work for myself full-time um, because of the development of my business, if you like, uh, was such that I could, by 2004, 
and devote myself to that. So since completely. 2004, so for the last about, what, 10 years? Well, in 2004, actually, oh. I was offered a job by the Solution Focus Specialists in London, a place okay. called Brief. So the, the people that trained me in Solution Focus practice, oh, yeah. who, who the, the first people really to bring mm. Solution Focus mm. practice into the UK. Which was, which was a group of social workers, uh, social workers and family therapists um, who set up uh, an organisation called the Brief Therapy Practice and they later shortened their name to Brief. And I worked with them as a trainer and solution focused practitioner therapist for six years until oh. 2010. And then to 2010 I became once again an independent consultant specialising in particular in solution focused practice. And you've just published a book. And I've just published a book, yes, called Solution Focus Practice. Published by? Published by Polgrave Macmillan. Available in? Available, well, I hope in all good booksellers from the Polgrave Macmillan website, mm. from Amazon and other websites. Okay. Mm. Just pause it. Stay away. Don't want to be careful, you're getting a bit of rustling there, it's uh, trying to stay pending still. Right. You've been a really good guy. <laughs> Okay, we're only getting Okay, alright guys, thanks. Now, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about, if you like, the wider picture of social work. It's had a bit of a rocky ride recently, um, and now that you've assumed the chair, which is essentially a very important position, if you like, within the social work community, what vision do you have of social work in the future? I know that membership in Basra is growing mm. steadily, and I know that um, an awful lot more independents are working, as you are an independent, about two to three thousand independents are part of Baswa now. But how do you see the profession moving forward? Do you think we're over the rockiest bits or do you think there's a few more battles to come? I mean, I don't know, how would you put it? I don't know, That's, um, you just made me think of that saying, the darkest hour is always just before the dawn. Mm. And uh, so maybe um, if there's the rockiest bits to come, in that sense it might be a good sign. Um, I don't know about that. I, I, one thing that um, I feel very honoured to be the chair of Baswa is in terms of the history of Baswa. Now this might, might seem a strange thing to be saying when you've asked me about a vision yeah, for the future, but it's very connected for me. Um, I'm conscious of the history of social work and I'm conscious of the history of Baswa and that Baswa is one of the guardians, I think, of the history of social work in the UK, if not the guardian of the history of social work. Um, when I was doing my social work course in Sheffield from 87 to 89, um, I was very taken by um, various social work authors, uh, writers, projects, ideas that I was coming across. And I developed an idea of a distinctive British social work tradition. And I'm thinking of people like Bill Jordan. I'm thinking of publications like Clients Are Fellow Citizens. And I'm thinking of a, a very strong collaborative working in partnership um, way of doing social work, getting along. There was an amazing paper that Bill Jordan had published in the British Journal of Social Work in 1987 that um, uh, one of the uh, tutors at Sheffield, Peter Marsh, I can recall it now, uh, maybe one of our first ever lectures um, in the social work practice module, and he was promoting this article by Bill Jordan, Counselling, Advocacy and Negotiation, and it's still to me the best article I've read about social work. Right. And he's, he's talking about the uniqueness of social work as being a profession 
that uniquely gets alongside its clients, service users, works with people in their own communities. Um, as opposed to in education, you'll work in schools, in medicine, you'll work in hospitals, in law, you'll work in law courts. In social work, you work in people's homes, streets, communities, and with non with non-professionalized language as far as possible. As far as possible. And um, so you work with people in their language, in their places, and you mix it with people. And I'm quoting more or less some of the phrases from Bill Jordan's article. You mix it with people informally. That made a massive impression on me. And um, several years later, when I was doing training in family therapy, I um, I was working alongside psychologists and psychiatrists and they were talking about the new wave of uh, or the new developments in family therapy about being collaborative with families and i thought we've been doing this in social work for many years and um so i think this is a strength of social work yeah. you know so or, i think progressive professionals in disciplines such as psychiatry and psychology who want to work collaboratively with families, they can talk to social workers and learn a lot. And um, so, and I'm quite sad actually that the Department of Health or the government um, agencies that promoted working in partnership back in the 1990s, and um, that, the word partnership might have slipped away a little bit. So in terms of now shifting into the future, and why I'm talking about the history, I think we need to take hold of what's been good about social work in its history into the future. So working collaboratively and working in partnership to me is a corner is a cornerstone. Um, I mean, obviously, working together is still working together, a, a sure, important yeah. part yeah. Of, of, yeah. of the history. But you're quite right; mm. it's um, sometimes honoured more in the breach. Mm. When I was training and getting to know what social work was, there was always this mantra that came from and everybody would say, well, what is a social worker? You know, what do you do? And it was very difficult sometimes because it's a very diverse profession. But they would say to me things like, um, and I wondered if this resonated with the Bill Jordan image mm. that you put forward. What a social worker is three things. A social worker makes the most professional assessment of a situation possible, drawing on a whole range of different uh, inputs. So it could be sociology, it could be psychology, it could be social policy, whatever. I mean, they draw upon that to make the best assessments possible. Secondly, they become a professional befriender of families and the people they work with, keeping a distance, but at the same time actually getting close to the people they're working with. And thirdly, they learn to move resources from A to B as efficiently and as effectively as possible in order to support the assessment that they made of that person. And that, to me, was the, the closest we could get. And then if you added what you just said there mm -hmm. about Bill Jordan, would you think that's a fair judgment? I like that. Yeah, I, w I, I think I probably would, yeah. I particularly like the idea of professional befriender. Um, getting, getting close to people, and it's in a professional way. So, and you've, you've made me think of uh, a phrase that I often use in my own training, of both and, or uh, balancing acts. So the social worker has to be professional, and you know, to work alongside the service user in their own language. So to work professionally without using professional jargon, that's a hell of a task actually. And mm -hmm. so social workers to me are doing a really complex task. But they're doing a complex task in a, in a, it's about doing it in a simple way or in a way that service users can understand 
what's been done. And again, to me, that's the appeal of social work. Well, and of course, you realise I was leaving out things like uh, expert witness, mm. taxi driver, mm. big sister, big brother, you know, yeah, that, all yeah. the different hats that social workers seem to have to wear that people find very difficult to actually compartmentalise. Yeah. And to me, this is a great, this is a great mm. strength to be a social worker, or a great uh, reason to be a social worker, or one of the things that's most compelling about it. When I train now, I mean, I'm training people in solution-focused practice. And in my own practice now, my job is much simpler in that I would identify as much as a counsellor or a coach, you know, working with people who come to me wanting help and I can work with them on their own terms for their own agenda. So I ask my clients when they come to see me what they want from the work with me. And I only have to wear that one hat, the helping person. And so when I'm training social workers, I can say to them, my, my, my practice context now is so much simpler than a social worker's practice context because social workers are wearing several hats yeah. and have to keep on being sure which one they're wearing at any one time. But then that makes the job so compelling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, we're coming to the end of the, of the, of the talk. So imagine we've got like uh, Isabel Trowler, the chief social worker for children, or Lynn Romeo, the chief social worker for adults, here with us, just having a chat around the room and maybe even the Secretary of State as well. What would you be putting to them if you had, you know, well, you will have that opportunity as Chair of BASWA, but I mean, for now, you know, for what you're aware of at the moment, what kind of um, challenge would you be making to them? I would say listen to social workers. I would say um, that the, the, the most wisdom that you will find about how social work could be done, should be done perhaps, um, how it should be structured here in England would be with the social work practitioners. So I'm a real defender and promoter of practice. You know, and, um, and I think Baswa should be doing everything it can, um, as, should the, as should Isabel Trowler and the other people you just mentioned, to encourage people to stay in practice. People who have stayed in practice, yeah. I think people who have got many, many years experience are worth their weight in gold. So I would encourage people to stay in practice. People in those positions should be should be working to help that to happen and then listen to those people, listen to practitioners. And of course, I think we'd have to say, you, it, it, that sounds like a universal message to me to the other home countries as well. Absolutely, mm. absolutely, mm. yeah. Final question or final opportunity. Yeah. You're also here in a room, suddenly in this room, here we are, we're surrounded by 10 newly qualified social workers and 10 people who are thinking about taking up social work as a profession, you know, going to university to do that, whatever. What would you be saying to them? Well, the 10 people thinking about it, I would say, great, that's fantastic that you're thinking about it. You're thinking about entering a wonderful job. Think carefully about it. It's not a job that's going to suit everybody and uh, it's a challenging job. So I would, I'd want to say, um, you know, you've got to enter it with your eyes open, um, and but talk to people, talk to people, consider it, go for it. If you think it's a job that's going to suit you, go for it. Um, the people that have started the job, newly qualified people, I'd say well done, uh, well done for qualifying. Um, I'd, say, I'd say I envy you, to be honest with you. When I look back to my time as a social worker, hmm, it's possible, I mean, maybe you look back through roast into glasses, the time that I look back at with most fondness, is my first few years in practice, the most exciting time in my social work life. So I would say I envy them. Guy Shannon, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Well, there we are. I hope you found that useful listening to Guy. 
and uh, we wish him well in his term of office. Now, as I said, the uh, next interview is to do with one that I gave with uh, the BBC. So it touches on morale, it touches on issues in social work at the moment. And um, see what you think. And remember, SpeakPipe, which is the one-click service beside the pod feed, uh, beside the podcast, uh, you can record uh, a voicemail to me or, you know, just give me some kind of feedback any way you like. iTunes is fine. So uh, see what you think. Seven and a half minutes past seven. Social workers in the West Midlands are the most stressed in the country. More, in one in, more than one in ten admit they want to leave the profession because the pressure on them is just too much. 20 social workers in Birmingham were signed off for stress last year. That's five times more uh, than the number in 2012. Obviously, social work, particularly in Birmingham, uh, has come under the microscope because of some really high-profile child neglect cases in the city. Uh, We've got the two-year-old Keanu Williams, um, seven-year-old Kyra Ishak. Earlier on this year, the education watchdog Ofstad also criticised children's services in Birmingham, calling them inadequate. I want to bring in David Niven, social care expert, trains new social workers and has a podcast called The Social World. David, good morning. Good morning, Pete. Um, Maris is there saying that you know that there are good uh, social workers coming through the system is is that what you're seeing that there are still good social workers that the quality is still there no question about it of course there are but um what maris was saying actually rings so true to me the, the i think you know society deserves to challenge social workers society should challenge the quality of social work that's practiced because of all the complicated work that social workers do on their behalf but in order to do that we've got to accept that society needs to support and fund and resource social work in the way that it should because they're doing some of the most complicated and difficult and stressful work around supporting the most vulnerable in society do you know pete that every single day in england there are over thirty thousand children who are uh, considered to be at risk and subject of at-risk plans thirty thousand plus and that's only the ones we know about and this is actually being monitored and supported and interrupted by social workers under enormous, enormous stress. It's a bit like saying, if you said tomorrow, right, surgeons, you know, I I think you've got to do two or three more operations a day. Why don't you just bung in a few more heart operations because we need the numbers done and there's so few of you, I'm afraid the rest have got to shoulder this burden. Mm. We wouldn't stand for it. But for some reason, the sensitivity of social work isn't recognized so much. and, And therefore, at the end of the day, we do get people burned out and we get people who are not really shouldn't be in that position anymore working with child protection or vulnerable adults but we haven't got the capacity or the, those coming through to to properly replace them quick enough we've got good people coming through yeah. but just not quick enough and is is it the case uh, in cities like birmingham that social workers are reluctant to come here because you know that they, they've had the bad headlines it's under a notice to improve There's lots of negativity in Birmingham and they're thinking, well, listen, my job's tough enough as it is. This is just going to increase that pressure. Yeah, I think you got it spot on there. I I think people will look at that like any job. If you were, you know, working in any particular profession and you you saw somewhere that wasn't um, getting a terrific uh, uh, publicity, 
then you think, oh, well, I'm not sure if I want to go and work there and be kind of, you know, under terrific pressure. However, I do, I am aware of Birmingham and I am aware of the people in the community of Birmingham. They are very strong. They are very resilient. And this will sort itself out. The question is, how quickly can it be sorted out Mm. and how quickly can it be strengthened? Because, I mean, Birmingham is a fantastic, vibrant city. And yet, at the moment, it's just really feeling the shockwaves of some of these recent cases and therefore all the knock-on that you described. David, thanks for coming on this morning. Thanks for for speaking to us. David Niven, social care expert, as we say, he's got a podcast called uh, The Social World. Well, there we are. That's it for another episode. My thanks, as always, to Alba Digital Media for the technical side of this podcast and helping put it together. They're very well worth a visit if you uh, need support. And also, if you want to learn podcasting, all by digital media. Other than that, I wish you a good few days. I wish you health and uh, I'll speak to you soon.